It's that time again. It's ASGCA Insights, the official podcast of the American Society of Golf Course Architects. And now, from our studios in beautiful Brookfield, Wisconsin, it's your host, Mark Whitney. Welcome to ASGCA Insights. My guest today is Guy Cipriano. Guy is the editor-in-chief of Golf Course Industry Magazine. An Indiana University graduate, Guy is not only an award-winning writer and editor, he also heads up the Superintendent Radio Network. The network features podcasts and interviews with a number of golf course industry professionals, including the popular Tartan Talk series, which features members of the American Society of Golf Course Architects. Guy, welcome to the show. Mark, uh, thanks for having me, and thanks to all the ASGCA members uh, over the years who have helped golf course industry. And I can't take full credit for that podcast uh, network because our managing editor, Matt Lowell, does a great job and has a huge uh, hand in that. Yeah, I want to talk about that here as we, as we move along. I think we should start with uh, with full disclosure. Uh, I've known Guy for several years, and golf course industry and ASGCA partner on a variety of projects each year, uh, including GCI's involvement in the annual Market Trend Watch report that's produced for ASGCA by John Last in the Sports and Leisure Research Group. Uh, Guy, there are a lot of people who enjoy their work in the golf industry, uh, spending time at courses, meeting fascinating people. Um, I always got the impression talking with you, though, that you love your job. Yeah, that might be an understatement, Mark. <laughs> uh, it's what I've always wanted to do. Uh, I got into golf. My father and grandfather were avid golfers, and I guess I, I dabbled with it. A little, but I really got into it when my father took me to the 1994 U.S. Open at Oakmont Country Club. I grew up in uh, Pittsburgh, and we followed uh, Bob Tway, Curtis Strange, and Nick Price. All 18 holes. It was uh, over 95 degrees at Oakmont uh, for the Friday round. If I'm sure some of your listeners remember that that Friday round at the 1994 U.S. Open at Oakmont Country Club was Arnold Palmer's last. U.S. Open round. He he was from Western Pennsylvania. I'm a Western Pennsylvania kid too, and that's really what got me into it. And then I started caddying after that and playing more seriously. And I realized probably by the time I was 15 that I wasn't going to play on the PGA Tour. So I, I thought about my career and future and what I love. And I'm, I'm like, I want to work for a golf magazine. I want to be a golf writer or or golf editor and and do what these uh, people that I, I read and follow do for a living. And I, I spent 12 years. Uh, working newspapers. And then in uh, 2014, got this opportunity at golf course industry. So I don't know how many people can say they're doing exactly what they've wanted to do uh, with their career, but I'm one of those people. And I know everyone jokes and says that they're, they're living the dream. Well, I truly am living the dream. And for the work that you do reporting on and talking with uh, those who maintain courses, uh, that's also an area where you've got some personal experience as well, isn't it? Yep. So I was working in newspapers. I had a great job at the Center Daily Times in State College, Pennsylvania, which is just a, a, a lovely college town. I spent, geez, uh, over seven years there. And I think it was around 2010, I got the itch to be on a golf course frequently again. I, like I said, I, I grew up caddying. I played a lot in high school and I was looking for something where I could be on a golf course regularly. It was really uh, tricky in the sense that you know, being a, a daily sports writer is a, is a demanding job. You're, you're sort of always on call with your beats, and there's a lot of things that go behind, 
on behind the scenes at, at smaller and mid-sized newspapers that people that don't quite understand in terms of working the desk and taking phone calls and, and organizing some things. But, you know, being in State College, Pennsylvania, there were no golf courses that, that used caddies there. And I was thinking, well, how am I going to work on a golf course part-time around this fairly demanding full-time job? Well, I, I contacted the, uh, the superintendent at the Penn State golf courses, Rick Pageant, and interviewed with um, the two assistants, Don Chester, who's now retired, and Scott Martell, who's still there. And uh, they looked at my resume and they're like, are you sure you want to do this? You have a, have a job, you have a career. And it wasn't driven by the money. I just wanted to get back on, on the golf course as kind of a hobby job. So I, I, they, they hired me. Uh, I, I grew up caddying, had never done maintenance. I wasn't too familiar with the maintenance side. And I worked uh, for, I think it was about two years until the Penn State football beat got really intense with the, the coaching change and the Jerry Sandusky scandal, I, I would work three or four shifts a week where I'd get out of the newspaper at you know, 12.31 a.m. and then work on the Penn State golf courses you know, from 5.30 a.m. to 10.30 a.m. It was around my, my full-time job. It, like I said, it was a hobby. And I got, I got immersed with it. I would print out USGA green section articles at the newspaper and take them home and read them at night about the things that we were doing on the golf course. I would ask uh, Rick Pageant, the superintendent who I'm dear friends with to this day, to bring home all the industry publications, including golf course industry. And I, I would just read them cover to cover. And I'd be like, wouldn't that be awesome to write for one of those? But I, I kind of filed it away because I figured people get these uh, awesome jobs and just hold on to them forever. And then in 2013, I moved to Northeast Ohio to take a career step. I, I had accomplished a lot of the things that I wanted to as a beat writer. I wanted to go the sports editor route. And I was the assistant uh, sports editor at a newspaper in suburban Cleveland called The News Herald, which is a wonderful publication. A lot of veteran writers were there at the time. I got to oversee a lot of them and work with them. And we had a big staff and significant resources and covered all the Cleveland pro sports teams and all the great high school and local colleges in Northeast Ohio. And we had a position we were looking to fill. And this was in the early spring of 2014. I went under the job board to see what type of uh, response that the job we had posted was getting. And there was something that said magazine editor Cleveland. And this was a, another job advertisement. And I, I, I clicked on it and it's a golf course industry magazine based in Ohio City is looking for an assistant editor. And I'm like, no way. That was one of the publications I read and took home when I worked at the Penn State golf courses, mowing tees and helping out with bunkers and projects. And I just figured that a job like that would never be available. And the job was actually advertising for less money than what I was making at the time. But I'm like, this is my chance to get into golf. I, I sent my resume to uh, Mike Zawacki and, and Pat Jones, who were my predecessors. Uh, they read it and it was like, Three days later, that was the end of my newspaper career, and I was working for golf course industry and doing what, exactly what I wanted to do, telling uh, stories as they relate to the business and and agronomic and construction and renovation side of golf. What a fascinating career path that uh, I'm sure each of those individual steps along the way uh, help you out with the, with the work that you're doing today. I look at something like a, the most recent issue of GCI uh, and look at your editor's column and one of the things that you wrote in that column uh, said adapting is what people who maintain golf courses do best. Uh, and along the way, they implemented a slew of innovative practices that of course, referencing uh, what we've all been experiencing here these past few months, what have you seen and heard 
from your readers and from the and from the maintenance and superintendent folks in this industry over these past couple of months? Uh, it's been inspirational, Mark. You think about it uh, when everything happened with COVID nineteen in early and mid March. Uh, we weren't sure what was going to happen with golf, right? Like would golf courses remain open? If they remained open, how, how was the game going to be played? What was this going to do the, to the finances of the industry? Would, would golf courses have to close instantly if they were forced to shut down at the beginning of the 2020 season? How, how would how would the, the side of the industry that your members deal, deal with, how, how would golf course architects and people involved in golf course construction fair would they would they still have work would that stop instantly uh superintendents were obviously going to have their budgets uh slash short term how, how would they deal with the re reduced crew sizes and and mark i can't be any more impressed by what's happened over the last three months here uh as we record this podcast 98 percent of the golf courses in the united states are open according to the national golf foundation that's remarkable uh, there are so many things that could have happened politically to stop golf, but the, the industry, in my mind, has never been more unified, has never been working together towards a common cause, which the common cause here is to keep golf going uh, through this pandemic and keep it going safely. And the golf course superintendents are a key part of that. You think about uh, just how quickly the game changed in, in, in mid-March, uh, you couldn't touch the cups anymore. You couldn't touch the flag sticks. You couldn't touch the, the bunker rakes. You couldn't touch water coolers. You couldn't touch course accessories. You couldn't go into the pro shops at a lot of facilities to even pay. And that golf adapted quickly with some innovative things. I mean, who would have thought that that a pool noodle would work to, to prevent people from digging into the bottom of a cup? Uh, who would have thought that that people could play without bunker rakes and and perfectly maintain bunkers and, and not complain? Who would have thought that uh, facilities would have found a way to just put one person in a cart and quickly turn over their fleets and ha have them sanitized and ready for the, the next person. This is, this has been ins inspirational and it, it, it's been remarkable in a lot of ways. And uh, golf is the perfect sport for the times in many, many ways, Mark. My guest is Guy Cipriano, editor in chief of golf course industry magazine guy GCI embraced recorded interviews and podcasts a number of years ago uh, that really helping to sort of set the standard uh, in this area for, for the industry. What can you tell us about the development and the continued evolution of the superintendent radio network? Yeah, that's a great question. And you look at, you know, what a publishing company is going to be moving forward. And then you look at what a magazine within a publishing company is going to be moving forward. It's not going to be the traditional model. I think anyone that's involved in media and content production knows it. Uh, you're just not going to have a hundred page print magazines each month with, um, you know, 50 to 60 percent full page ads. That just doesn't happen anymore. So we really looked at the future of our business and what forms of media are growing. And uh, really, if you look at it right now, everybody knows that print isn't growing. We're lucky we still have a monthly print product. Our sales team does a good job and we still have a viable monthly print product. Maybe some of the uh, folio sizes or page numbers aren't as big as they were when I started here five or six years ago, but we still have a healthy dose of content in there. But we need it, we need it to, to, to get through in other avenues. And we have a website. We have e-newsletters. We have a big social media pr presence. But I, we were really studying what forms of media are growing, Mark. And if you look at all those different sectors, the one that is experiencing the biggest growth, when you look at the data and the people that really study content and, and publishing, it, it, it's podcasts. The audiences are increasing nationally each year for all types of podcasts. Uh, the, uh, the ways that people are consuming podcasts, uh, people are realizing that they, they can listen to them 
while they're working. They can listen to them while they're working out. They can listen to them while they're, they're commuting. There's so many different ways that you can consume them. You can listen to them before you go to bed. You can listen to them in the morning. Uh, it's, it's really the, the, the form of multitasking content. And you know, last year was really the first uh, annual planning meeting where I was the editor. I, I, I followed Pat Jones and Mike Zawacki, who did a great job of laying a foundation here. And I have a really talented managing editor, Matt Lowell, and we thought, you know, what, what can we do to really um, prepare ourselves for the future? And we've made a great commitment to podcasting. We have four different series, including the Tartan Talks ones that launch uh, every Tuesday. So we're pretty much doing one a week. Uh, our numbers are going up where we're getting more data on them and we're finding uh, we're going to start marketing them even more. And it's really an intimate form of, of, of content uh, and it, it diversifies us further. And you look at what, what's happened this spring to, to all sorts of businesses uh, and you look at what's happened in the, the media industry, it's, um, it's really taken a, a hit. I mean, I've had friends that have lost jobs that work for, for um, sports publications. And it's, it, 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 for us, we're trying to, to present our content to different people in different ways. And the podcast is the evolution of that. And uh, we're finding some big successes with it. And as you're probably finding with your podcast, you're, you're reaching your audience in a, a different way and giving them another place that to find you and the great work that you do. Well, absolutely. It, uh, it, it continues the conversation. That's what I think what all of us are trying to do, uh, whether through, through print or electronic uh, communication. Uh, the Tartan Talk series with ASGCA members uh, has been a big part of the network. You've now done more than 45 episodes uh, of the Tartan Talks. Why was it important for you to bring the story of ASGCA members to your audience in, in a very personal way like you do? Yeah, and it sort of evolved the series. When we first started it, it was to bring on a ASGCA member and maybe talk about one topic, whether that topic is is bunkers or master planning or cart pass or or selling a renovation. And we kind of started it real topical at first, and then it just evolved into a longer form thing where uh, we really wanted to to help listeners get to know some of the ASGCA members and the, the great collaborative work that they're doing with our core audience, which is golf course superintendents and assistant superintendents and, and their supporters. And it's really become more personal as it's progressed. And I've really enjoyed doing it. Uh, sometimes when you get the uh, mainstream golf publications, Mark, it's, it's the same four to six architects that you hear about over and over. And I, I think what the common golfer doesn't understand and what a lot of people maybe that even worked on turf teams didn't quite understand is that there are dozens and of architects doing great work to, to solve problems of golf facilities and, and help make our readers lives uh, golf course superintendents and assistant superintendents uh, lives easier and we wanted to tell those stories and, and give some attention to some of the architects that, that I said maybe don't receive that mainstream uh, media golf media attention and it, it's been great to, to talk to your members they've always been receptive of, and made time for us and uh it's really personal right like you, you you hear this uh you hear this person maybe that you don't know much about you hear them in their ear tell the story of the work they're doing and their career and, and their thoughts on on how golf is played and how courses are designed and maintained and and that 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 creates a um different type of relationship with, with the audience and we've had a lot of fun doing it and we're, we're hoping to continue to do many, many more of them. 
uh, yeah, it's hard to believe that we're up to 50. We've had a lot of repeat guests on because uh, some of the people that we brought on the early episodes, a lot has changed with their work and their career in that time. And uh, yeah, we've been able to react to the times too. Like like this year when uh, Pete Dye passed away, we did a podcast with uh, Brian Curley and Bobby Weed basically about their experiences working with Pete Dye. And then when COVID-19 happened, we brought on Jan Beljan and Forrest Richardson to talk about what it was like being a golf course architect this spring. So, uh, you know, we, we kind of want to do some more topic and series ones now, maybe um, a long form one where we take a topic like, who knows, like fairway width or irrigation and bring on three or four guests and maybe have them on each for, for 10 to 15 minutes. So there's some different things we're looking at doing to, to make this series fresh and Hopefully it keeps going for many, many more episodes. Let me put you on the spot here. Is there uh, an anecdote or story that, that, that really took you by surprise from one of these conversations or that made you sort of sit back in your chair and just sort of say, wow? Uh, there, there's so many of them. And I, I would, I'm almost going to be uh, diplomatic here and say that every art, every ASGCA member has a, a great story. Uh, some of Brian Schmidt's stories about working with Pete Dye at PGA West were, uh, were phenomenal, uh, you know, getting a chance to talk to Steve Forrest and Sean Smith of Hills Forrest Smith. We went uh, to the estate sale that they had earlier this year where they were getting ready to move out of the, the longtime office established by Art Hills and just sitting them with them at a table in there that had all these maps and routings and course plans. And, you know, they're getting ready to move them all out of this building and they were trying to sell a lot of this stuff at the time. And you just saw the emotion in Steve and Sean's eyes and all the, the great memories came through and, and it, it, it hit me in a lot of ways. I just remember that night. I, I couldn't fall asleep when, when we got home from Toledo, Matt Lowell, our managing editor came with me and just thinking of what that business meant to the people that worked in that office and all the memories, and especially when the office was really pumping out uh, lots of projects in the late nineties and the early two thousands. And they had more than a dozen people and they had to put two trailers outside the, the house there in Toledo because they didn't have room for everybody in the house. And that really hit me that night at just about transition and, and, and change and what working as a golf course architect means and, and the whole spirit of it. So that, that was one earlier this year that really stuck out with me, Mark. And that whole idea and what you, what you just talked about there uh, ties back to what you just wrote in your most recent column, talking about adaptability and that ability to, to evolve and change. It's a great example. Uh, another area uh, that GCI has embraced uh, has been social media, uh, including an annual award ceremony that you conduct each year at the Golf Industry Show. Uh, this is another communication source that both you and your audience have really embraced. Yeah, and who would have thought that golf course superintendents and people in the golf industry would embrace social media like they have? If you think about it, uh, people that work in golf are not necessarily the, the, the most... Um, vocal they kind of like to listen and learn but twitter in particular has become a tremendous platform for people in the golf industry to share their ideas and share their challenges and share their their triumphs and even their failures and when i started at golf course industry in 2014 we had 4600 twitter followers now we're up to over 17000 uh next year if the golf industry show happens in Las Vegas, it will be the 10th anniversary of our super social media awards. And that's one of the most difficult things that we get to pick every year. And every time you think that like, like turf Twitter or industry social media is flattening off, it gets a resurgence resurgence and people get engaged more and more on there. 
uh, it's just been a fabulous way to communicate. It's been a fabulous way for us to get our content out there. But I think more than anything, it's been a fabulous way for us to just sit back, learn and observe what's going on with many of our our readers. I encourage the people that aren't on there. You don't have to go on there and, and post and be the most vocal one. Just go on there and look for ideas and see what other people in the industry are are doing it's it's something that that can make you better if you can block out some of the noise and some of the craziest stuff stuff on social media and just use it for a specific work purpose and especially in the golf industry you can gain a lot from it and and mark our parent company gie media runs about 20 publications and of in a whole bunch of different industries and this is the most engaged social media audience in our entire company, which is saying something because you think that things move a little bit slower in golf compared to other industries. And sometimes it's um, the newer technologies reach golf and some of the new communication messages reach golf later than they do other industries. But that certainly hasn't been the case with social media. It highlights the, uh, the community aspect of the industry, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And what I compare it to is uh, back in my sports writing days, uh, my winners were consumed with covering high school and college wrestling in central Pennsylvania, which if you don't, if you've never been to a uh, state college, Pennsylvania, you probably don't quite understand uh, why and how wrestling is such a big deal. But the wrestling community, they were in gyms all weekends. And it was a, it was a lifestyle if you were a high school or college wrestler. You dedicated pretty much your entire life to, to doing that. And the coaches were working you know crazy hours a week. And I, I think the golf community is a lot like that. There's their way in this together type mentality. And it, it's really special to be a, a part of it. And uh, it's something that I hope to do for a long, long time. And yeah, social media kind of is a uh, example of how it, it, it's a, it's a close community and a community where people are willing to, to share with each other. Guy, how can people find you find GCI and all the various media platforms where you're providing content these days? I appreciate you asking that. Uh, since we were just talking about social media, we'll start with Twitter. We're at GCI magazine. I'm at GCI magazine guy. On Twitter, we also have a Facebook page that's very active. Uh, our website is www.golfcourseindustry.com. We have the uh, Superintendent Radio Network, which you alluded to, and we're on all the, the popular podcasting platforms. And you can subscribe to the digital version of the magazine for free. Is You don't have to be a golf course superintendent or general manager to get golf course industry. Anyone in the industry can get it. You just go on our website, go under subscribe, fill out a few questions, and that'll be delivered to your inbox uh every month so there are really a lot of ways to find us i tell people we're not like a golf magazine or a golf digest you can't go to the newsstand or the bookstore and buy us but you can still get, if you have an interest in golf course maintenance and, and construction and design and the business side of golf you can get our magazine and enjoy it every month my guest has been guy cipriano of golf course industry magazine and the superintendent radio network guy thank you so much for joining us Thanks, Mark. I really appreciate you giving me this opportunity. And that concludes this episode of ASGCA Insights. I'm Mark Whitney. You can find past episodes of this podcast and more information about golf course architecture at asgca.org, or you can subscribe to the podcast through Apple uh, Podcasts, through Spotify and iHeartRadio. Thank you for listening, and until next time, so long.